Welcome to Mansi, a podcast about magic and its impact on our culture. Today, we have a special episode diving into Halloween Sally. Halloween! Mansi Halloween special! Woo! Halloween! And fall festivals. <laughs> I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. Today, I have written this episode. This is a bonus. I don't know. This one might be able to go into, like, actual Mansi canon. I might have followed enough of your... You followed the format? I think so. You, f- you followed our the structure? I think so. So oh. it might be a bonus, or it might not be a bonus. Oh. We'll see. We'll see what RJ decides, oh. if, I, if I've done good enough this time. Yeah, I, I asked Elle to write uh, an episode about, like... The spirituality of Halloween and stuff like that, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I have too much shit to do. So, uh, <laughs> plus a Halloween special, we had to have a Halloween special. Yeah, we didn't do one last year. Well, we all, too all, new. all of our episodes were also like super spooky. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, do we need a Halloween special when our last like t- five episodes are about necromancy, talking to dead people? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> Each year, autumn closes in around us like a giant, ugly, comfy cardigan from your favorite local punk rock thrift shop. Being all Robert Frost here, we're using our adjectives. We're making extended (laughs) metaphors. Mother Earth begins to draw her energy inward. So tell me. Begin to die. Tell me about Earth Mommy. And I'm super struggling to make this any form of poetic. (laughs) It's been a really fucking rough few months, and I'm just running out of steam to continue to make cool shit. So I really wanted this to be about autumn and the connection between Earth and drawing its energy inwards and people drawing their energy inwards and, like, transitional periods and death. And I can't. I can't do it. I can't be poetic. Yeah, that sounds like a bunch of of woo-woo hippie shit. So I'm glad we're skipping it. Yeah, we're going to just fucking <laughs> skip over that shit. Um, we have evidence of fall harvest festivals as part of human history dating back to the Neolithic era, which was 4,500 to 5,000 years old, years ago. As I was doing research for this episode, I was having a very hard time differentiating where certain customs specifically come from. Like, you know how when we do our, like deep dive historical we're like oh this is where this comes from it's like the more you do research on all of this the more you figure out that all of it's the fucking same thing done by different cultures in different ways so it seems like we've been honoring this time of year as a liminal space a time where the dead can come and go and a time where we have to face the darkness head on in order to survive it as long as we've been celebrating anything so yeah there's that also candy (laughs) candy Hey, RJ. Yeah. Knock, knock. Whomst is there? Fangs. Fangs who? Fangs for Letting me in. Letting me in. Oh. Oh, no. Thanks for... <laughs> don't don't tell these fucking ass puns around me because I will beat you to the punchline. I swear to God, I will do it every time. <laughs> don't even don't even play. I, don't even trifle with me. I had in the no, pun realm. I had no ability to write transitions when I was writing this, so we got a knock knock joke. But what what was that? You were you were, you were like. Oh, this isn't going to be a bonus episode. We followed the format. Where in the format is knock knock jokes? Right before the intro music, motherfucker.
The first culture we're going to dive into is Celtic. Um, how much do you know about Samhain? Like, how, like, can you just give me, like, a brief overview of, like, what you know about Samhain? Um, part of the reason why I asked you specifically to write this episode uh, is because I did not know that much, uh, and I mm-hmm. did not have the time to do research to do it justice, and I knew you knew more than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Samhain is a Celtic tradition uh, in which the, uh, I guess, the, the solstice uh, is celebrated. Mm-hmm. Specifically, uh, a transition between the lighter months to the darker months as, you know, the days get shorter Mm -hmm. uh, and darker and things start to die. So not only is it just like a harvest festival, but it's also kind of a uh, celebration of death building up to the celebration of renewal in spring. Yes. So are you aware or... I mean, the question that I have here is how much do you know about the traditional Celtic Samhain versus, like, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina Samhain? Samhain, as they say. Samhain. 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 I always read it in my brain as Samhain. Yeah. Um, I'm not Gaelic enough, I guess. Um, But uh, from what I understand, it's a little bit like Dia de los Muertos, where offerings are left out for the dead. Um, but you could dress up as like a spooky ghost person and take take those offerings. And this is the thing that RJ yeah. learned because I told him. Yeah, about you told it. me this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it it seems like a festival meant to uh, honor the dead and also like uh, the supernatural and um, darkness and creatures darkness. and cryptids and stuff. Yeah, um, I would say like something that I was really surprised about was to find that there really is this kind of like delineation between like ancient Samhain and like modern new age neo-pagan Samhain like those are like two different things yeah I think um, when (laughs) we're looking at neo-paganism a lot of it is a rewrite Mm -hmm. and the rewrite is not particularly accurate to history and a lot of times that's a good thing (laughs) right? (laughs) because uh, the history is either lost and gaps had to be filled in, uh, or the history was problematic, and we had to address that. Um, so definitely, as with most of, like, Celtic culture and, like, Druidic culture, we've, we've lost it to genocide. So that's, like, one of the things that happened with Samhain is that um, it was part of a, you know, pagan religion that they worshipped. And so when Christianity took over, that was taken away and erased through a lot of things. So a lot of what we have right now is basically evidence found by um, anthropologists that like found things indicating that Samhain was important. So let's talk about it. Let's do it. Um, So something that's a little tricky and that pop culture has done a disservice with is that Sam Hain, as they say, I hate that, in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina and other New Age slash pagan communities is that we now have a modern um, celebration of the thinning of the veil, like a time when we can commune with our dead loved ones, when we can go to the crossroads with um, requests and petitions, and we celebrate the secular Halloween. 
Samhain itself, like in the OG original starting out, is an ancient festival that was observed by the Celts in Gaelic-speaking countries to back to the Neolithic era. So Gaelic um, – that like delineation or, or like the specification of it being a Gaelic celebrated holiday was very important through all of my research. So this wasn't just something that was like just Irish people, just Scottish people, but like Gaelic people, which I think made up a like nation previous to like colonization. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Did you listen to that? Are you just like researching or something? <laughs> no, I just. <laughs> I had a thought. Um, what and, was your thought? Um, <laughs> just, you said you were going to have me tell some legends. <laughs> and I just had s- some thoughts about Sleepy Hollow. Oh, okay. Cool. And, anyway. You're giving away my episode. You're giving it away. I'm foreshadowing. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you could have like a Halloween episode and like a pop culture podcast without talking about Sleepy Hollow. Like, in America, but yeah. So um, the literal transition of Samhain is end of summer. That's what it means. And it was celebrated at the beginning on the night of October 31st, and then Samhain Day is celebrated November 1st. So in all of the fall, the fall harvest festivals and um, like observations of like the Day of the Dead and Samhain and Halloween and all Souls and Day. And that's why it's All Hallows Eve. And, yes. And not All Hallows Day. So they all – well, and there is there is All Hallows Eve and All Hallows Day. That is that is a delineation that they make in certain cultures and different traditions of celebrating. Um, one of the things is that all of these celebrations take place over like a night and a day or a night and two days. So there's like a period of time versus an individual day of celebration. This would happen near the final harvest of the year. So there would be three harvest, harvests that they would do. And this harvai. Is, harvai. It's <laughs> not harvai. That's not true. <laughs> so this would be the third harvest. And the idea is that like, oh, Jesus, I hope we got enough to survive through winter. Because there's no food coming through winter unless you can kill something. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they, they were like, oh, Jesus. And then somebody and then, was like, who's that? Who? Uh, and, and Christianity was like, oh, we know who Jesus is. Oh, let me tell you all about it. <laughs> um, so the idea of like if we think about um, what was happening societally, this is a time of accounting, settling debts, and preparing for the coming winter. Traditionally, all fires were extinguished on October 31st and relit upon the arrival of the next morning. So it was truly the darkest night of the year. It was like what was No happening? fires allowed. Only darkness. <laughs> Of course, there was an element of honoring the dead during this time. It was believed that this was a liminal space, a time when our world is closer and more accessible to the other world than it normally is. People would leave out offerings for, oh, I think it's AOC, spirits that were unknown to them, sometimes trickster or protective spirits. And so AOC was really like um, supernatural beings. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. AOC. It's <laughs> it's Gaelic and it's A O S and then new word S I. AOC, I think. Okay. Aussie. So I listened to a couple of podcasts when Aussie. I was like getting ready for this, and ain't nobody knows how to pronounce this. So it's fine. Uh, if, is there an IPA? I'll look up the IPA. Yeah, look up the IPA and tell us about it. So um H- how how is it spelled in there? A-O-S, new word, S-I, and there's like a um, accent over the I. It's a... 
The Irish pronunciation is Ishi. Ishi. Okay. So Ishi are supernatural beings that would be like that would be basically um that's the origin of like zombies and vampires and werewolves and like pixies and sprites and whatever. Like it was from how do I say it? Ishi. Ishi. Um back then. And Ishi was just like kind of nondescript spirits that could visit from the other world. And the other world is what they specifically called it. So mm. the afterlife or whatever. Yeah, other other world. We talk about this in the the Celtic mythology, yeah. the Irish mythology episode. Yeah, like this episode, hopefully you've listened to the Celtic episode and then you can like build on your knowledge of Celtic things in this episode. So we're building. We're building blocks. Yeah. Okay. So not only could Ishi, is that it? How do I E E S S H E E in your brain. E E S S H E E. Ishi. Yeah. Ishi. Ishi. There's oh okay. I'm sure everyone loves to hear that. Let's just be like Ishi over and over again. Okay, so Ishi um would come as well as their loved ones. So loved ones and like ancestors who had crossed over were different from Ishi. Um, it was believed that offerings for spirits would protect them from spiritual attack or protect them for the coming winter. Offerings for family members were left for hospitality and to welcome them home. And they would specifically leave the offerings outside their front door, which is kind of like they would leave them out so the spirits that were visiting could come through. And that's what we're doing on Halloween. Pick I don't up know their... if you knew that. <laughs> yeah. But tomorrow night, that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do. Actually, Nuh-uh. we might also do it tonight because Mormons. Because Mormons, yeah. I don't think we have any Halloween candy. Like, oh, I, no one... I haven't told you what I do every oh, year. Oh, no, I know what you do. I don't think that we should just turn off our porch light. No. No. No, absolutely. <laughs> do you know how that's how you get pranked? Oh, okay. You have little value for your home. Is that you think? I, I have you think lived, these kids are I have playing? lived in my home literally five Halloweens. You're and gambling. Never once gambling. has there been a child that has you're, shown you're up. You're gambling candy. with fate. You're gambling with. Okay, so here's what I do. I get a 12 pack of like Mountain Dew Voltage, something that'll get these kids absolutely cranked and ruin their parents' night. <laughs> um, and I just open up the 12 pack. I put them on the porch, just like these offerings. And then I put out a sign that says, take one if you dare, you little fucker. And to this day, no child has ever taken. That's definitely going to get us reported to the HOA. Okay, I'll take out <laughs> – I'll take out the F word. I'll just say, take one if you dare. Uh, for the H- HOA. <laughs> take one if you dare, you little cockwoggling dingleberries. Like, I don't. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> exactly that. You little dingle hoppers. <laughs> oh, you know what it's time for? I did it to you this time. Ha ha. Anyway, I'm picking up a 12-pack tonight. <laughs> so we have some preserved burial hills in Ireland that are Celtic and from the Neolithic era. So probably when I had said we don't really have a lot of evidence left over from the Celtic era and um, what they did to practice, this is kind of where we get our information from. So there are these two hills in the Boyne Valley that are associated with Samhain, Tara and Clochta. Clochta was the place where the Great Fire Festival was held. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and that is where we had to suck the Ishis <laughs> dicks dicks to free the water. We ha- I had to suck dick 
to in get water. order in order to celebrate the dead. <laughs> <laughs> the Great Fire Festival was a giant festival, and like researching the Great Fire Festival. <laughs> Was harder than you might think. Oh, oh my god! Literally, I just I just finished playing Death Loop, and literally the setting of Death Loop is an eternal fire festival. Oh, really? And it's fucking hilarious. Amazing. So the Great Fire Festival is a giant festival in which a bonfire would be built on top of Clockda. The fire. So Clockda is. Um, do you know what the burial mounds are? Yeah. Did you talk about them in your episode? Um. I think I was actually going to save those for the uh, the Mormonism episode oh. uh, because they took a lot of their beliefs about burial mounds from like Europe and brought them over here and just applied the concept to Native American burial mounds. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So basically, um, a lot of what we have, a lot of the information that we have about um, ancient Celtic life is kind of similar to like what we have about ancient Egyptian life, which is like their burial chambers. And um, it's my understanding that they weren't really as like, um, they weren't like for kings and they would like put gold and shit in them. It was like just yeah. much more like this is where we bury our dead people kind of a thing. This is the mausoleum. This is the symmetry. And when you go, when you visit Ireland, they will like often talk about the Hill of Tara. And that's like one of the great burial mounds. So Clacta, um is a smaller burial mound that I think is about 13 miles away from Tara. Tara and that was where they would do the Great Fire Festival. And Clacta, actually, that hill, that whole valley is named for a woman who died giving birth to triplets. Triplets. Huh. Anyway, I like her name a lot. Clockda. Clockda. It sounds like something you'd do to somebody to hurt them. Her name is spelled T-L-A-C-H-T-G-A. You asked me for the pronunciation of this one. Yeah, Clockda. It's Clockda. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has the... Clockda. Clockda, yeah. It's a bilateral plosive. Clockda. There you go. Stancy's <laughs> bilateral give my, my linguistic <laughs> nerd stuff. Um, but also, if anybody has read the Graveyard book, uh, Neil Gaiman is, like, notorious for borrowing from folklore and mythology. Mm. And a lot of these uh, traditions uh, associated with Samhain and these burial mm-hmm. mounds are in the Graveyard book. And I highly recommend it. Oh. It's technically – it's for kids, like young adults, like Harry Potter. Mm. Um but it's so fabulously written and it explores a lot of this uh, folklore. It's about a baby, like a serial killer kills this baby's parents and the baby wanders into a graveyard and is raised by ghosts. Uh, RJ really just wants to talk today. <laughs> it sounds really good, actually. It is, but he finds a burial mound with a creature called the Sleer, who is the ghost of an ancient, uh, like, Celtic... A uh, being that has forgotten who it was. It's been so long. Ishi. Yeah, it's an Aosh. It's an Ishi. Ishi. Yeah. Um, that's wild. Yeah. Like I think. So I didn't actually. I've been to Ireland before. I didn't actually hear about the burial mounds until I was doing this research, which was super interesting. And then, like when I was doing Samhain research, the only information out there is about these burial mounds and Clockta specifically. So. 
Um, anyway, so the fire was an offering to the sun god and was a way of heartening themselves for winter, reminding themselves that the sun would come back again soon. This great fire was where the households would relight their fires from, their house fires from. The idea of using the fire from the ceremony was protection and carrying over the magic of the sun god into the darkness of winter. And we see that a lot with, like, fires traditionally and, like, before electricity was a thing. That's a lot of times how they would do their fires. Um, and people's house fires or hearth fires would never go out. Not ever. And so for them to distinguish them on, like, one night. Extinguish? The, distinguish them. On one <laughs> night. <laughs> The next morning, relight them was like very Is this significant. A fire? No, it's a distinguished fire. <laughs> I can't quite tell. It's always oh, a fire. I've distinguished this as a fire. <laughs> as the great fire burned through the night, the sun rose at a very specific point, illuminating the chamber and of the mound of the hostages on the hill of Tara. Even though we've lost huge parts of Celtic and Druid culture to genocide and Christianity, we have proof of the significance of Samhain because a burial mound was designed with the intention and importance around the sun on that specific day. So actually, when you said that Samhain is a solstice, that's technically incorrect. It is a cross quarter of the astronomical year. Oh, a cross quarter, you yes. say? <laughs> what do, you, do you want to guess at what a cross quarter, wow, a cross quarter is? Uh, so I'm going to guess that it's an in-between of a solstice. Yep. It marks the points, um, between autumn equinox and winter solstice. Specifically, that's what Samhain does. But it's the exact halfway point between the equinox and the solstice. By Jove, Reginald, how long has it been? Since the last cross quarter, I reckon. Exactly. And I think that's something that's really interesting is that, um, like, in my research, I kind of was trying to, like, get down to the why of, like, why we still do Halloween, why we have Samhain, why Samhain is, like, making a comeback. Like, why is this a thing that mattered when it isn't a solstice? It isn't an equinox. It wasn't. But there was something back then that they were like, this is so important to honor the dead that we're going to put, you know, um, the chambers for the sun to come and be with the dead on this one specific day of the year. I mean, I could have told you the why. Because it's fucking lit. Because it's. Fucking dope. That's why. What caffeine did you have today, though? I had a yerba mate, <laughs> but I'm very excited about Halloween. It's a Are bones you? weekend. Halloween is a bones weekend. We do have plans to like go to um, Evermore tomorrow for their Halloween party. If you haven't seen Evermore, look it up. So it's a theme park, but instead of rides, it's role playing. Uh-huh. So it's an alternate reality experience where you're inside of basically a Dungeons and Dragons campaign mm-hmm. in this like fucking fantasy ass city and they have it run like seasonally in cross quarters in uh, cross quarters in cross quarters uh they do <laughs> different uh themes and uh the cross quarter for autumn is lore yeah uh, i'm which excited is, like, about that spooky halloween there's like ghosts and vampires and stuff yeah so um speaking of christianity where were we I was in my script. (laughs) We were a long way from the script, but we were in my script. (laughs) How do you just get it so good? I can never do that with the singing. I wish I could figure out. Maybe it's because I'm a non-believer. Maybe I'm a fucking apostate, but it won't. When I put the, when I circle around it with the thing, I can never get it to go. You have to like put a very certain amount of pressure on it. I know people who could teach you how to do it. I just am not. It doesn't matter. Anyway. (laughs) 
Speaking of Christianity, <laughs> many of the traditions Celtic people observed for Samhain carried over really well into tr- traditions of honoring the dead and reminding the peasants of their mortality in Christianity. Jack Santo, a, flor- a folklorist, writes that there was throughout Ireland an uneasy truce existing between customs and beliefs associated with Christianity and those associated with religions that were Irish before Christianity arrived. Part of this was a kind of twisting and bastardizing dance done around pagan festivals like Samhain to make them kind of fit into acceptable displays of faith. What that looked like was All Hallows' Eve or All Saints' Eve and the observance of All Hallowtide. Have you heard of All Hallowtide? All Hallowtide. Uh-huh, All Hallowtide. That's, that's just autumn time. That's just what we've been doing all of October. So actually, it's the very specific treatum or a three-day observation in Christianity of like a – uh, holiday or time. So All Hallowtide is a treatum. It's a religious observation lasting three days that is made up of All Saints' Eve, Halloween, All Saints' Day, All Hallows, and All Souls' Day. All Hallowtide is a time to remember the dead, including the martyr, saints, and faithful departed Christians. All Hallowtide was not really recorded at its beginnings, but we do have a record of it being observed by the Pope of the Catholic Church in the 700s. Which is wild. That's a long ass time ago. I know. Uh, fucking. Uh, there, there's this like uh, evangelical that's trying to reclaim Halloween for Jesus, saying that Halloween is like a witchcraft, like cursed holiday, and so he's calling it Jesus Ween. And you and literally he doesn't have to. There's already a holiday. It already exists. Like it's already on the backs of buses, and he's got billboards that say Jesus Ween. Like, do people, like we want to see Jesus's ween. And, I was gonna say, do people like and um, like a simple Google search would turn up then show that All Saints Day is already a it's fucking already a thing. thing. It's, it's already, already a thing. it's been a fucking thing since like seven hundred apparently. Yeah, literally since se- they already fucking have it. Like the Pope was already like, this is how we do this shit. And this is again something else. Like in my queer magic episode, when we're talking about Santa Morte. We talked about how a lot of um, the cultural things that we have today are kind of this like bastardized like twisted together mashup of like traditional cultures and Christianity being like eh like fake it this way and we're gonna call it good because it's very hard to take away everything from people but also people were afraid of being killed by Christians for not being Christian so they're like well I'm gonna fudge it a little bit so we have a lot of these examples of like just bastardized like mushing together of stuff because that was the easiest way to keep the people that were being colonized quiet and it was the easiest way for the people who were being colonized to stay alive so we have a lot of that and there's a lot of that in relation to halloween um so in more secular slash pagan observances of all hallows eve from the 700s to the 1800s households would have parties they would do divination to predict the future. Popular methods of divination were peeling apples, roasting nuts in the fire, pouring molten lead and egg whites into water, and, of course, pyromancy. So if we remember when we did our episode on the on alchemy, it was when we did alchemy, that we yeah. did the lead. Molybdomancy. Molybdomancy. So they would do that. And remember when we were like, oh, no one really used this. We don't really know where this came from. They were fucking using it in England in like the 1100s as part of their Halloween celebrations. Yeah. The Druids originally did it with wax. Mm, okay. And then it became more of a metallurgical thing over time. Yeah. So that was like a big part of it. Um, so in the pyromancy 
it, obviously, like, the um, just like the Celts, the Brits would light fires to keep the darkness at bay as a kind of sympathetic magic. And that, like, idea of sympathetic magic, I feel like, is so much of Halloween, of, like, just these little moments of, like, we need, like, we need a little glimpse of light um, kind of a thing. So I'm sure that you can guess there are a lot of iterations of All Hallows' Eve over the 1,100 years. 1,100 years before it really became more modernized. That's a long time for something to exist. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of fights and bannings of certain traditions and observations and a lot of evolution of practices. In fact, it is believed that our modern practice of trick-or-treating is a bastardization of mumming and guising, which came from the super fucked up thought that if someone dressed as a spirit, they would be able to steal the offerings left out for the Ishii in Celtic traditions. He, 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 motherfucker. Yeah, like <laughs> trick or treat. This the dead people aren't going to eat this candy corn. I honestly, I think the ghosts for for this crime, the ghosts invented candy corn as revenge. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. They, they invented candy corn, Necco wafers, and fireballs as did, revenge. Did you see that I bought um, like the little uh, candy corn pumpkins? I love those. I think I've had five mm. out of yeah, out of the box, uh. and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one eating. Them. Yeah, the ghosts don't get credit for circus peanuts, though. That is a that is a crime of man. Yeah, that that's true. <laughs> so another depiction of Ishi from European culture is actually the dance macabre. Oh yeah, or, also in the graveyard book. Yeah, which I didn't know about the dance macabre. I think I had, but I didn't realize like. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about it, actually. I wrote about it, so I'm going to just tell you the things I learned about it. Um, it is also called the Dance of the Dead, so Dance Macabre, Dance of the Dead. In this allegory, skeletons accompany people from every station of life, normally a king, a pope, a knight, and a commoner, in a lively waltz. That's what they say, a lively waltz to the graveyard. The idea of this is that we can cope with death when, death when we are confronted with it often. Um, I'm kind of being drawn back to the idea of the memento memori uh, or of that like being kind of a vaccine of death of like um, a lot of the depictions that we have and that they would use in these like, you know, ancient times, mm -hmm. medieval times. They would have depictions of death or like, I don't know, um, people dying and that kind of stuff to be like, hey, peasants. You're going to die. That's going to happen. And kind of the peasants were heartened in return by the dance macabre, which often had people who were above them being depicted with them Death as well. Death is the great equalizer. Exactly. Like That's the idea of the dance macabre is that no matter who you are, death will come for you someday. Um, so, and uh, I, I want to talk about this for a second because yeah. this concept has been absolutely fucking perverted uh, over time, especially in America. Okay, where you have people like Gary Vee, he's like a, a get rich quick guru, mm. uh, saying things like, "It's memento mori. That means you too shall die. So, like, work hard." And build build something because one day you're gonna be die. You're gonna die, and all that will be left. <laughs> you're gonna be die. You're gonna be die, and all that will be left <laughs> is your like legacy. And like that's not what Memento Mori is about no, at it's all. Not. Memento Mori is uh, about letting go of your pride and letting mm -hmm. go of those things. The exact opposite of what these like get rich quick guys think it is, uh, because. It's it's about taking the time to just stop and like experience life and not worry about your legacy because 
time will force it all to crumble. Yeah. You will die your second death uh, when the last person who remembers your name forgets, you know, like Coco. That's that's about the second death. Um, So remember, you too shall die. So, like, take a moment to be alive because it's temporary. Well, and I think that that's something that's really interesting. Like, and I talk about this later in the episode, but when we look at the history, there are – Waxen, our our relationship to our as in humanity's relationship to and depiction of death um, definitely has its like cycles. It waxes and wanes. Um, and during this period of time, like the Hundred Years' War was happening, there was um, the fucking plague. Like all when, of that. When stuff. was the Great Famine? Was that was so the Great Famine late, late was eighteen hundreds. Eighteen hundreds, and that is actually what brought Halloween to America. Was the Great Famine because we had people of Celtic um, yeah. ancestry like immigrating here. Um, so yeah, it just was like an idea of death being a constant and almost I want to say like this desensitization of it, right? Of like the more you look at it, the more you're like, okay, this is a thing that is coming for me. What do I do now? And then yeah, the dance macabre being a kind of a great equalizer, a thing that um, peasants were heartened by of like someday, you know, the skeletons will come for me just as they come for and it's My a kings. dance, right? So take a minute to just like fucking chill yeah, out and, and enjoy dance. it. Like that was the idea of the dance macabre is that it isn't this like solemn like walk to the cemetery. It's a dance. It's a jig. Question. It's, yes. Is the monster mash the dance, the dance macabre. macabre? I think so. That's, what, think that's so. what they were Actually, doing. That's you know what they were wild? doing. That was a graveyard smash was the dance macabre. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I mean, a graveyard the Ishi, smash is, is the Ishi <laughs> were there, and the dance macabre would have Ishi as part of it, like in a different form, because Ishi is just supernatural beings in general, and I would say that skeletons that can walk would be would qualify as an Ishi. So I would say that, yeah, definitely, they they, they definitely smashed in that graveyard. Good for them. You know, I just hope someday that's me. Um, I was going to say what was really interesting is like this idea of like death being the great, great, the great equalizer um, is something that I talk about a lot with the death card in my tarot deck. And I was looking at it. The dance macabre is actually reflected on my after tarot's tarot, like the death card on it, which I thought was really interesting. So. Oh, I don't get to talk about the history of the monster mash. Go for and it. How, this is a great time. Do it. Okay. Go so in. the Monster Mash uh, got started because this kind of washed up musician was in his band and they weren't getting any hits. They were kind of getting like moderate success. And then he was like, fuck it. I do a mean Boris Karloff impersonation. <laughs> and he wrote this joke song that he just did with his homies. I was working in the lab. Late, late. One And night. this is when the universal monster cinematic universe, like what Marvel is doing now, Universal Studios did that in like the 50s and 60s with their movie monsters where they were all in the connected universe. Uh, so he wrote a song about that uh, that was just like a joke song about the vapid dance trends of the time. Because mm. he was like, people only care about these stupid the dance potato. trends. <laughs> yeah, they only care about these stupid dance trends. Nobody actually wants to listen to music. They just want to do these corny dances. Mm. So he made up a song for a dance trend that didn't exist. Have you ever seen somebody do the Monster Mash? No. What does that what even is look the like? Monster Mash, yeah. It's, he fucking, he made it up to make fun it's of a, dance trends. Hey, wait, wait, wait. It's a graveyard smash. Shh, shh, shh. It's a jump to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's... So jump to the left. 
And that, I mean, I know that that's the, that's the, the time, the time warp. warp, but I know, but like, but that's iconic. You, yeah. your, you, your inability, your inability to have patience in that moment ruined my joke. I want you to know. Everyone on here knew really? that it was or the time warp. Or maybe it should have just hit harder. <laughs> you know what? I was building. Anyway, anticipation. So, so he does. He he's super frustrated. He does this bullshit song about this bullshit dance that doesn't exist, and it's a fucking hit. And he's so mad that he was proven right. Uh, that yeah. everybody cared about these corny fucking dance trends, but he's actually like a really good sport about it now, and he still performs the Monster Mash live. I'm pretty sure he's still alive. Uh, he even had the nickname Boris to make fun of his like Boris Karloff impersonation, like worked into <laughs> his like stage name. Amazing. Uh, so anyway, whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? Which was making fun of like how we're already off of the last the dance warp. trend yeah. and we're on to the next dumb dance trend. Let's do the time. I'm sorry. I, That's we a different song. That. We haven't watched that yet. No, we missed it. Out of the Shadows Theater Company does an amazing um, Rocky Horror picture show at mm-hmm. the Tower, which is like the historic yeah, movie theater. theater where they show all like the pretentious filmy films. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I I've seen some good stuff there, but anything that's like out of the box <laughs> that involves cinema happens at the Tower. Yeah. Uh, or it's Salt Lake Film Society in general, yeah. which the Tower is a part of. Um, but they did it at the Alliance Theater this time because they have a oh, full live streaming rig. Oh my God, we, we missed the we, live stream. And we missed it. Yep. We'll have to watch just the movie at least. Yeah. We'll, I started watching it, but I didn't finish. Uh, we'll throw rice and stuff. No, not, no, not cleaning that up. you're not going to clean it up. Not cleaning I have that up. to. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be Rocco just eating fucking raw <laughs> eating, rice. <yeah. laughs> okay, so, yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of mumming and guising? Oh, absolutely. What is it? So, uh, mumming, or a mummer's play, uh, is a, theater, a street theater tradition that involves um, mostly uh, pantomime and wordless performance and mm-hmm. people would just like give them like money like they just ask for money and you'd see like this street performance happen uh and the mummers would travel from like town to town to town and then guising is um basically cosplay is dressing up in in costume uh and often performing in character with that costume uh usually wordlessly okay so uh, I like your definition of mumming better than the one that I found. But, like, guising is the disguise. It's wearing a Halloween costume and going door to door. And then mumming, um, kind of in what I was finding and looking at, is, like, being fucking creepy to cre- to keep the creepy crawlies away. Like, you are just got to be creepier and crawlier than them, and then they won't get you. So that's that's a type of mumming. Mumming is, like, a whole art form. The, okay, that's uh, great. Love that. But in, in Halloween sense, like, yes. So guising and mumming specifically, like, that is a correct... Yes, that is something you would do this. on Halloween. Okay. So those are both just, like, general art forms, but on Halloween, you'd, you'd kind of do them uh, to, like, trick-or-treat, scare, yeah. away, scare away evil spirits, and then the evil spirits wouldn't recognize you if you're well, dressed and like the, them. Yeah, and the Ishii would be out, and they thought that, like, the Ishii were dressed up, too, and so um, guising was, like, dressing up to match them so they wouldn't bother you. People also thought that, you know, their dead relatives could come back, so if they were hiding from, like, their mom, they would, they would <laughs> That's up. me. Yeah. That's me. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, it's Halloween. <laughs> give me, give me a fucking cowboy outfit or something. I'm I don't want to be spotted. I'm cowboy. I'm cow- Are you serious? Are you serious? <laughs> 
Um, yeah. So and mumming, like, it's kind of interesting because um, it wasn't enough to, like, dress up to keep the Ishii away from them. It wasn't enough to, like, dress up to steal the Ishii's offering. But they're like, well, I'm just going to be fucking scarier than the Ishii so that the Ishii won't fuck with me. Um, and that's really where we get um, – that's where we get – trick-or-treating is like this kind of idea of like things getting more and more extreme over time in like what was considered scary and i think it's interesting because we just do that now because it's fun yeah like the the guising and mumming that's what they do in the lines at the the haunted houses yeah basically yeah as they just like walk up and scare you and yeah so i think it's interesting um i mean of course it would have like the it would be um based in being scared of things and trying to keep things away. I just didn't think about that. And we definitely don't talk about that being a reason to dress up now. So I'm sure, of course, some listeners are like, well, actually, um, trick-or-treating comes from the practice of souling, which actually isn't incorrect either. Souling was a part of the religious observation of all Hallowtide. So this is where we get that, like, strange mashup of, like, pagan stuff and religious stuff. Children and impoverished people would go door-to-door and offer prayers in exchange for soul cakes, ales, and apples. Sometimes they would be dressed up in disguise, and they would often sing songs as well as offer prayers. And they're, like, very specific songs that they would do. Uh, for souling. So Soling has been traced back as far as medieval times and was actually mentioned in Shakespeare's Merchant of Verona. Soling was a fairly regional practice and it petered out in popularity in different places at different times. But we do have records of people practicing Soling, and Soling into the 1930s. And like when I was doing this research, research, there's literally like, well, in Manchester and they did this regionally. Like it's it's strange because Halloween and Samhain have been so like highly – regionalized and like individual experiences inside of those regions have created all of these like different splinterings of Halloween, which I would say is true even now that I feel like we celebrate Halloween differently than like Salem does. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, for a lot of people, Halloween is just an excuse to get drunk and dress slutty. And like, I'm here for that. I was like, I don't Um, know. That sounds good to me. Yeah, I'm here for that. We can celebrate Halloween that way. Um, You know, but at the end of the day, it's mumming, guising in the dance macabre. Yeah, for sure. So um, do you – okay. So, of course, it was celebrated so widely we got a whole bunch of different traditions. Do you know of, like, any traditions that I haven't quite talked about yet that would be, like, part of, like, any Halloween tradition? Like, can you just name oh, some? Pumpkin carving. Okay. Um, corn mazes. Okay. And, like, doing shit in the cornfield. Okay. Um. Let's see. You talked a little bit about the apple offerings. Bobbing for apples, I believe, comes from that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, scary stories um, mm-hmm. is is one. Uh, let's see. We got the dance macabre. We got the costumes. We got trick or treating. Um, what are, what are we missing? Uh, getting wicked drunk. I think that's implied. <laughs> Um, I mean, anytime there's cause for celebration, there's cause for being intoxicated. I talked about the monster mash. <laughs> so I just picked like a, I don't know, like a, like a, a, a sampling of some of the traditions. And you did talk about some of them. So we're going to start with some more palatable ones because like history is fucked up and people are fucked up. So let's start with bobbing for apples. 
So this is still a really popular game to play. I actually haven't played this since I was probably like 10 when I was at daycare and we did bobbing for apples. The trick is to just like come in with those teeth like they're fucking You were not allowed. Fishing. Didn't you have <laughs> braces? Like you would not be allowed to bob for apples. This <laughs> <laughs> fucking fangs out. <laughs> so, it's about the force you apply. <laughs> what do you think? Like, why do you think bobbing for apples? Like, what do you think? Why? Why do you think that was the thing? Um, so, uh, I believe that apples were a specific offering for the Ishii. Okay. Um, and, uh, if you wanted to steal them, you had to go through a test of skill. I'm not sure. So, the idea, it's really super, like, actually a metaphor. It's, like, this very deep metaphor. So, the idea of bobbing or trying to catch an apple that is suspended on a string is a reflection of catching the magic fruit of life, as though one is snatching a fragment of life from the darkness. (laughs) Yep. Whomever would catch the apple winning the game would peel the apple in one long string, then throw the peel over their shoulders. Whatever the letter, the peel looked like was the first letter of their future spouse's name. some divination shit. Yeah. So, if you won... if you caught the the fragment of life, the forbidden fruit out of darkness, and you managed to hold on to it and you won, you got to predict who you're going to I want to know what Gaelic, like, master can <laughs> peel an apple all in one peel with just a pocket knife because I would fuck that up. I know, get, right? They didn't have the fucking <laughs> rotato thing that they advertised on TV. I could definitely do it in one string now. I, I think I, I, I think I would screw it up. Well, I don't think we would use a knife because I would cut myself if we used a knife. But with like the peeler, the peeler, it would be easy. Did they have peelers? Uh, probably. I mean, they probably had at some point. Some, yeah, I don't know. Probably they had some way of being able to do it. I guess. Like I don't know. Um, so I want to talk about jack-o'-lanterns. So most people have heard that the first versions of jack-o'-lanterns are made out of turnips. Rutabaga! I don't think most people know the symbolism behind it. This is another super deep symbolic thing. Yes, there's actually several jack-o'-lantern legends. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I want to see which ones you picked. Yeah, so, um... These were originally used as lanterns that were carried with the groups of solars. They carved faces into them and then lit them with candles to represent a soul trapped in purgatory. Mm, Yeah, from All Saints Day. When Halloween um, took hold in America, pumpkins were a native fruit that were larger and softer than turnips, so they were a lot easier to carve, which is why we don't use rutabagas to capture soul lights anymore. (laughs) That's why we don't do that. (laughs) The pumpkins are a lot easier. (laughs) They're so much easier. They're bigger and, like, yeah, the seeds are tasty. Yeah. So another story story of the origin of jack-o'-lanterns is the, sta- is the tale of Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack! I think you said you knew the story, so I want you to tell it, and then I will add my versions if you don't mention them. Does that sound good? Yeah. Okay. Did you pull it up? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I feel like that's cheating. I'm going to tell it in my own way. I just needed a reminder. Oh, okay. All right? You okay. think I'm the, the fucking library of Alexandria over here? I have every legend memorized? Literally, <laughs> yes. Like, when you talk to people, you're like, oh, I don't know. I, is it sunny today i'm not sure but have you heard of this ghost town like (laughs) all right so okay stingy jack uh stingy jack did not like to pay for things Mm, he Uh, was stingy he was he was a tightwad his anus was the fucking size of a goddamn uh pencil lead uh, <laughs> that sounds uncomfortable. He's stingy as fuck, right? Stingy Jack. Uh, and he's having a drink, and this guy sits down next to him, and Stingy Jack is like, Oh, you're the devil. And the devil is like, Yeah, I'm just here to have a drink. 
And Stingy Jack was like, do you, I don't want to pay for my drink because <laughs> of my tight asshole. Yeah. Do you want to pay for my drink? Uh-huh. And the devil was like, oh, you want to make a deal? <laughs> a deal with me? Lucifer, the devil. <laughs> Very well, I shall pay for your drink. Um, and Stingy Jack was like, okay, but here's how I want you to do it. Turn yourself into a coin, uh, and then I'll buy the drink, and then you can turn yourself back out from a coin so you don't have to pay for the drink either. Mm-hmm. And the devil was like, I love tricks. Let's do it. So the devil turns himself into a coin. Because he can turn into anything. Yeah. <laughs> and Stingy Jack is like, great. Actually, I'm going to keep this. And puts it in his pocket next to a silver cross so the devil can't turn back. <laughs> and pretty much every version of Stingy Jack is like some version of yeah. that. That he like gets the um, devil to turn into a coin and hop into his wallet. And he has like a cross next to yeah, his wallet. And, and, and so... Uh, the devil is like, this fucking sucks, bro. (laughs) And Jack is like, okay, okay, listen, I will take you out of my pocket and let you turn back on the condition that you don't bother me for at least like a year, at least a year. You don't fuck with me. You don't do any mischief. You don't give me any bad luck like you do. Uh, and if I die, you're not allowed to claim my soul. And, uh, the devil was like, okay, fucking deal. And he gets free. The next year, uh, the devil's like, okay, now I get to bother you again. And Jack was like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm just gonna get some fruit over here. Do you want to eat some fruit with me? And the devil was like, sure. And Stingy Jack was like, okay. Uh, so I already finished my apple. I know how you like those because the whole Eve thing. Mm. If you want to climb up and grab some, we can just, like, have some apples and talk about it. So you're just telling every version of this. That's how the legend goes. Yeah, is it gets, it escalates. It escalates. So, basically, yeah, it, like, in the, like, it's all these different versions of, like, him getting caught in this tree and there's, like, crosses. Yeah, he carves a, after the devil climbs up, Stingy Jack carves a cross in the tree and is like, now you can't bother me for ten years and you can't claim my soul for another ten years. Uh, and the devil is like, well, fuck a doodle do, Fuck me. Uh, ten years later, the devil is just f- fucking pissed. And God is like, I don't want Stingy Jack. He's a fucking prick. Well, no, Stingy Jack can't go to heaven. And like, so ultimately where it ends with um, the devil and Stingy Jack is that Stingy Jack says, you can't ever take my soul. I yeah. will let you be free, but you can never have me. And because he couldn't go to heaven, because he's... A fucking asshole. Like, he, like, he's tricking the devil. Like, yeah. <laughs> God definitely doesn't want him. So then what? Uh, so the devil can't claim his soul because of the deal. Mm-hmm. God is like, no, you're fucking gross. You're not coming to heaven. Mm-hmm. And the devil's like, well, purgatory. Can't put him in purgatory. That's part of hell. I don't know what to do. Uh, and so Jack gets, uh, what was it? So the devil uh, doesn't claim his soul, allows... Doesn't allow Jack into hell. Sends and the devil gives Jack a piece of burning coal and sends him off into the dark like night a, to light his way as he becomes like a wandering figure, a wandering soul. Yep. Yep. And Jack puts the coal in a carved out turnip, uh, the, the jack o' lantern, mm-hmm. uh, 
uh, and he's been roaming the earth ever since. And the Irish began to refer to the ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, or simply Jack of Lantern. Yeah. So, um, just over time, like basically, a lot of the stories I didn't know that there's like all these like increasing things. It just basically was like. <laughs> He turned. Uh, he told the devil he would release him, but he was never able to claim his soul. Not ever. And the devil was like, okay. And then when he died, he couldn't go anywhere. So he's cursed to wander the earth forever. And then, and when he asked the devil what he should do, the devil was like, I don't know. Here's a piece of coal. And like threw a piece of coal to him to mock him. It's like an ever-burning hellfire piece of coal. Yeah, like I got you this to light your way because you want to spend the rest – like you said you wanted to wander. So wander. So yeah, like jack-o'-lanterns are this soul that's kind of caught in this purgatory. Um, also the will-o'-the-wisp. Do you know the will-o'-the-wisp? Um, I know what will of the wisps are. They're like fae creatures uh, or lost souls uh, from Celtic mythology, mm-hmm. and they tend to uh, trick people or lead them to their doom. Mm-hmm. So, literally, another name for will of the wisp is jack o' lantern. Oh, they're literally really? just called jack o' lanterns. Like interesting. So yeah, because I think we talked about will of the wisps. I'm pretty sure will of the wisps right? are D and D monsters. Um, I know them from Brave, from the Disney movie Brave. Yeah, I know them from uh, fantasy. They're like constant figures in like fantasy novels and stuff. They're a very uh, popular thing. So yeah, so that's another – I was like trying to figure out. I was like, well, like are the -the Will-o'-the-Wisps in the pumpkins? And it's like, no, they just think that – Will of the Wisps are jack o' lanterns. They just that's just another name for them. Yeah, it's just Jack of the Lantern holding up his lantern. Yeah, holding the lantern, this trickster spirit that is doomed to wander the earth and will pull people away from their path and where they're supposed to be. So one of the things that I was actually really surprised to find out about was like the huge crossover between Christmas and Halloween. Like, did you know historically how like I know now it's totally separate, but like historically, kind of the same fucking thing. Nightmare before Christmas, yo. Yeah. So souling probably sounds similar to caroling from Christmas time. And it is literally the same thing in both seasons. Have you seen the horrifying Christmas cards from the Victorian era? Oh, yeah. They're terrifying. So I'm actually pretty sure this partially comes from the resurrection story being a common story during both Halloween and Christmas. Because when Christianity took over, that was like, oh, we have to honor the dead. But Christianity, the dead rise again. So it's the resurrection story. And so they were like, well, we're going to tell the resurrection story in Halloween and Christmas. So troops of performers would gather together and go around their towns performing plays, probably doing like mumming. Yeah. Um, that might not seem that spectacular, but this shit's going to get weird. It's going to get weird like right now. Do you want to guess how it gets weird? Um, I'm going to guess that these plays <laughs> were uh, pretty terrifying because it okay. was all ghosts and shit. Okay. So in certain regions, a requirement of these plays was having an old hob. Do not search it. Do you know what an old hob is? Um, oh, this has something to do with the, the hob, hob something lantern, okay. um, which was a, another jack-o'-lantern legend. Okay. Um, but I, I don't recall it right now. Okay. That's, that's as much as you know about the old hob? Yeah. Okay. So an old hob is a horse head which has been decapitated, placed on a pole, and covered with a cloth. Sometimes they would place a candle inside of the horse head so it was illuminated as well. If two troops met each other in the street, they would have to fight until one of the horse's heads had been destroyed. This is not what I was thinking of at all. <laughs> I know, is that fun? I was thinking of Hobarty's Lantern, uh, which is like... I know that's, a folklore. 
Hobbit's like, lantern is that's what the the whole that's what the hobs would be when they put the um candle in them they were called a hobbardy's lantern <laughs> yep so they would like take the like skeletal skull and Dude. smash them in the streets so like the troops would fight each other if they ran into each other <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I love that. I more brawling, uh, more ritual brawling in Christianity, please. Right. So, speaking of horses and jack o' lanterns, do you know the story of Ichabod Crane? Of course, of course, I know the legend of Sleepy Hollow. Do you? Um, would you like to tell it now, or do you want me to give a little bit of facts about it and then tell it? Um, I will tell it now, and I will do my best to summarize. <laughs> You're like oh. I've got a summary right here. Okay, I'm great. I was like, you know what? I should probably pull up a summary so that I can make sure to keep this short <laughs> because this is a whole ass story. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's, it's written by Washington Irving mm-hmm. uh, about like colonial, like post revolutionary America. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of like the earliest like American works of, of works of literature. Yeah. Uh, I guess colonial colonial American work of literature. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hmm. Basically, a uh, uh, skinny dude with a dumb name gets chased by a headless horseman and then maybe dies. It's ambiguous. But, uh, okay, once upon a time. Thank you. I was like, tell the, tell like a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing the spark notes. <laughs> once upon a time, this dude with a funny name, Ichabod, lived in a little town called Sleepy Hollow in like the northeast of uh, the United States when they were first in the beginnings of the United States. Uh, he was like the town teacher. Uh, so he was he was a smart guy and he was not like particularly superstitious. You know, he was a skeptic. He was a um, skeptic. In my tellings of it, he was obsessed with ghost stories and shit. We'll get there. Okay. Um, one day, uh, Ichabod realizes that the richest guy in town has an only daughter who's pretty good looking. And he decides he's going to, you know, he's going to get in on some of that. Mm-hmm. He's like, she's rich and she's hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, the, old Ichabod wants that Ichabod. You know what I mean? Uh, so so uh, he falls in love. Uh, oh, there is one problem, though. Uh, there's this other guy named Brom who uh, kind of wants to kill Ichabod what is because this, he wants her. What is Brom's full name? I love his full name. Oh, I don't remember. Brom Bones. Brom Bones. Brom Bones. Brom Bones wants to Brom Bone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he'll kill Ichabod He's, to do yeah, it. Yeah, he'll fucking prove it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ichabod has to kind of lie low because he's already like, you know, made his moves on this lady Um, and he doesn't want to get killed. Then something wild happens. Uh, There's a party at this lady's place and he's invited. She's like, yeah. He's like, yes. She invited me to the party, (laughs) the autumn party. (laughs) So he gets dressed up and gets all fucking fancy, you know, Uh maybe takes a bath. Or whatever they did for special occasions. Um, the party, <laughs> the party is lit. Um, but when it's over, she's like, you know what, Ichabod? I don't think this is going to work. You're just like a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ichabod is on his way home. And uh, he's like, oh, fuck. <sighs> but on his way home, he hears some hoof prints. He and some and he's trying to keep it together because he's like, this is really scary. I think it's Brom coming to fucking kill me. Yeah. Um, but when he turns, it's even scarier because it's a headless 
headless dude on riding a horse. Uh, and he chases Ichabod down. Uh, he knocks Ichabod off of his horse, mm-hmm. and Ichabod is like, okay, this is it. I'm going to die. But he manages, like the sun comes up, and he manages to make it. Uh, the next day, no one knows what happens to Ichabod. Like, we don't know if the horseman, like, dead, killed him or if he gone. was saved by the sun. He just, like, disappeared. Disappeared. They see horse tracks, Ichabod's hat, and a pumpkin. That they all assume that the horseman, like, gifted uh, Ichabod. Um, Ichabod may have run away and become a judge. That's, like, the rumor. But Brom laughs mighty suspiciously every time they talk about Ichabod. Uh, and so uh, Brom – it's sort of, like, subtext that Brom dressed up as yeah. the horseman. To scare the living fuck out of Ichabod. And get him out of town. And get him out of town. Or maybe just kill him. Yeah. And um, I think people in what I've read, like, because I read, you know, different versions and stuff. And people are really, like, want want to note that they think it was more of Brom. Brom was more mischievous than ill-willed. And so they think he just was trying to get him out of town. But, yeah. Like, the the we don't know. We don't know what happened to him. Yeah, but we the, don't know. It's left ambiguous. Pumpkin, the jack-o'-lantern was left there with his hat. And that was it. Yeah. He was gone other than that. Right. So the legend of Sleepy Hollow is actually one of the earliest examples of, I would say, like, colonial American fiction that is still relevant and popular today. And a lot of the retellings totally leave out the part that Brom is the, you know, it could secretly be the horseman. Yeah. A lot of them are just, they just skip right to the climax and it's Ichabod getting chased by the horseman. And most of that is due to Disney trying to gobble up every single public domain property and make it their own. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the actual story is like much longer. It's like a novella. Yeah, it's it's a short story. So it was written in 1820 as a short story in a larger collection by Washington Irving. I would say that this is one of the more popular Halloween legends even today. The list of media based on it is huge. There are towns named Sleepy Hollow, state parks, schools, and even a rest stop. I want to go to the rest stop. Um, Frankenstein was also published in 1818 and Dracula was published in 1897. So we have a lot. Like now we're starting to see – so, like, I, I wrote a whole essay on this for my lit history class. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we view Victorian literature as, you know, being obsessed with this kind of, like, purity and, like, the Romantic era being obsessed with, you know, like, God and nature. But when you really look at Victorian literature that's popular today, you see, like, Frankenstein and Dracula and a lot of those stories – have to do with the same themes, the loss of innocence of Dracula representing yeah. like temptation and like sexual lust uh, and Frankenstein representing like the hubris of man, basically the death of God. Yeah. Um, and this was all fueled by like this rapid industrial boom of natural places being basically destroyed, everything being replaced by black smoke and bricks mm-hmm. and technology supplanting what we knew and like scientific discoveries supplanting what we knew about God and nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's kind of um, – I'm going to read this and then go into like my whole 
philosophical thing. So Halloween was not popular or widely celebrated in America until the late 1800s, when there was a mass immigration of, of people of Celtic descent to America, and that was the Great Famine. Now, Halloween is basically a national holiday for America. We spend the entire two months before it basically running Basically a national holiday. Basically. But not an official one. Not one, one. yeah. Um, we spend the entire two months before it running through corn mazes, going to haunted houses, watching scary movies, holding hands with our honeys, and trying to get our hearts racing just for funsies. One of the challenges I've had with writing this episode is this kind of question of why. Why have we had such consistent and intentional traditions for so long? For literal millennia, we've known that this night was important. Even in mass erasure of culture and genocide, it was so important to cling on to this night when the veil is the thinnest. But why? Because it's lit! It's just death. I mean, it's just death. It's just a thing that's going to happen to every single person someday. And I think I found my answer through several different lenses in my research. I think for some, death is this thing that draws near, draws near nipping at their toes, reminding them that they will run out of time. I think for others, death is this kind of promise of eventual comfort. Those that believe in heaven, that believe in an in-between that is at least somewhat good, look at death as a friend that uh, that will be waiting for them when they are ready. And that's more of like the dance macabre like perspective of like, it doesn't have to be this like terrifying thing, but this thing that we go to with, you know, joy. Um, some seek to scare it away, to hide in costumes with lanterns, frightening anything that would dare frighten them. Some welcome it. When we talked about Santa Morte in my queer magic episode, I really wanted to bring an answer to the question of why people would want to honor something that is, at its core, gruesome and scary. It is true that some who worship Santa Morte would have human bones. Probably some of them have human bones from people that, whose lives they have taken. That's just, that's truth. That is a fact about Santa Morte and her followers. I mean, there's that guy on TikTok who's just like a bone merchant selling human bones yeah like it's not illegal to have the bones but like but why Um. no but i know i know that there are some people who worship her that have trophies from people that they have killed i know that for a fact and that's that's just part of who she is but right then then why though like but why um Santa Morte and her followers do not fuck around. And you hear that. You hear that warning more than you hear anything else about her. So why would people even view her service as being worthwhile? I think we as a society are much further advanced in spirituality than we were 2000 and even 200 years ago. I think it's undeniable that humans are seeking the truth now as much as they ever were. And it is true that being that, that is being taken advantage of by some cults and religious sects. However... I think we are just as obsessed as, with death as we ever were. We can look back over history and see a reflection how, of how death-obsessed we were in art that is being created. If you've ever studied, like, any art history, philosophy, you know that there are, like, eras and phases and cycles of obsession with death. And I think we're just, like, in another one of those phases where we're, like, thinking about, I mean, coronavirus, right? Like, <laughs> very hard not to think about death when it's so prevalent in our faces all the time. If we look at the modern Mexican celebration of Dia de los we see a very playful and loving relationship with death. This celebration happens on November 1st and 2nd, much like Samhain took place over October 31st and November 1st. Day of the Dead is celebrated with large parties, parades, community celebrations, ofrendas where offerings for the, for the dead loved ones are left, and often a journey to the great grave sites of loved ones. Santa Morte is holy death, and she is very present in the celebration for those that work with her. And if, like, my favorite, I think my favorite Disney movie is Coco, probably ever, but if you want, like, to look at a really beautiful, like, representation of that culture and, like, kind of a 
I don't know, a story about that. But also really good. keep in mind that after Coco, Disney tried to basically copyright Day of the Dead and Sugar Skulls and all of that imagery yeah. because it was Fuck public him. domain and they wanted to copyright it so that they could be the sole profiteer off of this culture that they entirely appropriated. So while – the artists behind Coco knew what they were doing and were respectful and the writers were respectful and Fuck knew what Disney. they were doing. Disney fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, so as with most Halloween, Sal and Fall festivals, there's an argument over where, whether Dia or where Dia de los Muertos comes from. It's likely a combination of both indigenous culture celebration and comfort with death um, and the Spanish colonizers' obsession with death and Catholicism. So it's like this is another example where people say that the energy maybe of Dia de los Muertos is much more like the dance macabre where it's like this idea of celebrating and being along with them and being with the people that have died before us and everyone going, you know, to death. Um, other people say it's like highly like Aztec and during like in Aztec's culture, um, literally there were eight different celebrations taking place throughout the year to honor death in different ways. And so there's one celebration that would take place from like October 21st to November 8th that was a celebration for the god of war. And like they're like, yeah, sure, this this one looks like Halloween. Sure. Like so when they were combining these cultures, it's like this weird like mashup of like Aztec and Spanish colonizers. And I think something that's like uniquely Mexican, like Dia de los Muertos is like a uniquely Mexican um, observation, like holiday, but it has become more widespread as people from Mexico have migrated and as people have become more obsessed with it. And also sugar schools and everything is really beautiful. And I think as humans, we're heading into this period of like wanting to um, embrace death instead of being as afraid of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Coco also has this like theme of the second death, like forgetting the dead. And that's when they truly die. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to say happy uh, Halloween and Dia de los Muertos, Dia de los Muertos, to everybody except for Ernesto de la Cruz. Yeah, fuck that, that is. guy. Whoever that, whoever person, that was based whoever on, that fuck is, you. <laughs> who, like whoever Ernesto de la Cruz is, I don't, I don't know, I don't remember. Hmm. <laughs> so I think that's what I have for you today. I guess I didn't necessarily dive super heavily into the magic of this time of year and application, but I do think that our relationship with death is one of the most important tools for us to have when we are practicing magic. The liminal space of a person's last breath is so much like that of winter settling in. Oh, tell me. Everyone taking one last gasp, one last harvest, one last fire, and hoping you can sit tight until the sun comes back. I think spirituality and magic are so appealing to us right now because it feels like we are in that held breath as a world. We have died so many deaths up until now, and now what comes next? What is What will be the next incarnation of us? Having a relationship with death can teach us how to ride through the many deaths of our ego and society. I started this episode telling everyone that shit's been really tough, and it has. We've lost some really important people in our lives over the last month, and I'm feeling pensive about death and this year's dark time. I think we all are. I like to think of death as a friend, as something that welcomes each of us home. I don't believe in heaven, but I do think we need to, in in order to be comforted, we need to be comforted with something like heaven. I think the stories from um, today show us that humans have always wanted to know that we are not alone in death and that we have not been forgotten once we have died. And I think both of those things are true. 
I'm Elle Alder. Thank you for letting me be emo and talk about spooky season. If you want a reading, probably send me an email or schedule on Laurels of Lux. I've had a lot of health stuff and I'm probably just going to be doing phone readings for the most part for the next little while until I get my stuff figured out. And I'm R.J. Walker. Uh, you can get books at rjwalkerpoet.com. My newest book, The Ghost Was Always the Machine, is uh, available at Blue Sketch Press. Uh, you can just look them up online uh, and get my book there. It's a spooky book, uh, but also uh, it's sad. It's relentlessly sad. Uh, so yeah. so uh, if you're into that, you know, if you're into like the, the Dogs of Babel relentlessly sad books, uh, then... <laughs> Check that out. I have more fun books uh, at rjwalkerpoet.com as well. And as always, uh, if you subscribe to the Mancy podcast, Elle will do divination or Mancy podcast on Patreon. Mm -hmm. Elle will do divination for you on the show. Elle, are we doing any Halloween divination for this episode? Are we doing magic? No, like when we first talked about the Samhain episode and started like putting it together, I really wanted to do a huge Samhain party for like all of our patrons and like have like a huge bonfire and like do the bobbing for apples safely like everyone could have their own bowl of, of water mm-hmm. yeah so that way it isn't covid um like i wanted to do that and like so many people have died or been sick and i have been in the emergency room like twice in the last 45 days and i'm fucking tired so no i'm not doing any fucking divination i wrote this for you <laughs> take it take what i made for you and like it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hope uh, I could uh, at least have regaled you with the scary stories of Stingy Jack and uh, Yeah, this was a more um, mixed effort podcast today, which (laughs) I think was fun. Um, So yeah, thank you so much. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Me You, and Scott Buckley. All right, we are back in the Mansi Test Kitchen. We weren't originally going to do this, but now we are. We're doing the apple peel divination thing. I tried to peel an apple all in one go with a paring knife. I failed miserably, just like I thought I would. L is using an actual peeler, which I don't know if the ancient Celts had peelers. We may never know. But L- Oh, no! No! Fuck, you gotta do it all in one peel. All in one go. Okay, I'm gonna try to do the longest one I can. You gotta have, like, patience when you do this. Yeah, what we need is the rotato. No, do you remember the rotato? had that. Yeah, but do you remember the rotato? Um, it was perfect, 100% around have you, peel. Oh, fuck. Have you ever had the twister tatoes at um, Cheyenne Frontier Days? No, no, why would I go to Cheyenne Frontier Days? That sounds awful. Well, then you can't talk to me about the rotato potatoes. Yeah, this is very hard. These apples are not. I guess like, we'll just evenly... we'll throw the longest <gasps> Wait. peel. Yeah. Careful, careful, careful. Be- watch your finger. Watch your finger. Your finger. Watch your finger. Ah! <laughs> I'm just though. It's fine. Oh, okay. Oh, this is a good one. This is long, like definitely they had oh, to have. Okay, okay, that's a, gonna be as long as it gets. Definitely they had to have a fucking apple master. Okay, who's throwing the peel behind them? Am I throwing multiple peels? Just the one long peel? I don't know. I think work? I get to throw my long peel. Okay. Do you think Rock is gonna try to eat it? Absolutely, your dog is gonna try to eat it. Okay, ready? It's a C. 
It's a C for some unknown person. It's a C. Rocco did not eat it. Well, is it a C because it's a C or because that's the only shape it could make? That's the only shape it, it might make a U. Do you want to try another an one? We're going to try this again. Okay, this time I'll use a peeler. Yeah. And, and, and you try the paring knife. Oh, okay. And, uh, oh, I have an idea. Let's rinse this off in hot water because a lot of times I'll spray these with like a wax coating. Let's okay. See if that helps. Try and get that off. You need the water needs to be hot though. <laughs> My cat is very confused about what's happening. Normally they'd be in grounded, but because it's the holidays. It is the high holidays. Ah, careful where you point that thing. Yeah, I can feel the waxy stuff coming off. That's what she said. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Don't, just go super smoothly. Oh, this is so fucking intense. This is a test of skill for sure. It is. You definitely earned fucking Your divination. divine information from the gods if you can figure this one out. Okay. I'm definitely gonna cut my finger. Hashtag manifested. Yeah. I'm doing pretty good with the peeler. I think I got a little more than just the Yeah, you're peel. chunking off like the whole apple. <laughs> I was trying to get a really long one rather than just peeling the whole apple. Oh, and if anybody was curious what our Halloween costumes are, I went as a scary Santa because my uh, sister <laughs> promised uh, my nephew, her son, that if he got all his schoolwork done... At school and didn't have any homework, she'd get him an Xbox. And so what did he do? Took all of his schoolwork at the end of the day and threw it in the garbage. <laughs> so that he'd be like, Mom! <laughs> all I'm, my schoolwork's I'm, done! All, no, no homework, see? Got it all done. <laughs> and so he got in big trouble. Um, um, his uh, RJ's sister like called us when we were driving back from like an overnight at the gamble in town nearby. Oh, the peel is done, but it did take this whole time, and RJ got a very Kay. decently sized peel. Okay. Uh, yeah, she called me and she was like, uh, "You were the problem, child. What would you have liked to have happened?" Yeah. And that's my relationship with my family. Anyway, so I dressed up as a scary Santa with, like, blood and, like, torn up Santa costume. I got a, a, a woodcutter's axe and I wrapped it in wrapping paper to where you could absolutely still tell it's an axe just wrapped in wrapping paper. And I showed up at my sister's Halloween party and I said, Hey there, I heard one of you didn't do your homework and was naughty this year. I got you a present. Why... I wonder what it is. Why don't we cut you open and find out? And he was not impressed. He was like, okay, Uncle RJ. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm going to throw my peel 
Are you ready to scry my peel? Yeah. Okay, make sure your dog doesn't eat it. Who knows? Here we go. Like a cursive L. Yeah, look. Like a cursive lowercase L. <laughs> I can see the L. Or a T over here. Or a Y. It's actually a Y. It looks more like a Y. Yeah, I think it's a Y. I got a Y. I'm marrying somebody named Yolanda. Yvonne. Yvonne. Igor. E Spectre. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the apple divination ritual. Uh, oh, you didn't take a photo. Uh, should have taken photos for the gram. But, yeah, that was our divination for Halloween. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs>